Daniel chapter 5 is where we're going to be. And so you can go ahead and turn there. And we have been going through uh, this study on developing strong convictions and developing these convictions that we can hold to that will help us in this world. And so tonight we're going to be talking about how we can speak truth boldly. We can speak truth boldly. So being a bold witness for God sometimes means speaking hard truth. So we've already talked about prayer, and we talked about drawing that line in the sand, that we need to understand that this is where the line is. We're not going to cross it. We hold these convictions. That's affirmed in prayer as we continue to grow in prayer of prayer for ourselves and prayer for our own understanding, prayer for others. And so tonight we're going to talk about speaking the truth boldly. So Daniel chapter 5 is where we're going to be, and we're going to discover that Daniel has to say some hard things. And we live in a culture today that it's more and more difficult. Um, and in this curriculum here, I love how they open up here. It's a society is becoming increasingly secular. Many people assume that what defines something as wrong or sinful is up to the individual's own code, code of morals and ethics. So it's not objective morality, it's subjective morality. What do we mean by that? There's no objective standard for right and wrong. What's wrong for you may not be wrong for me. What's right for you may not be right for me. And this is our culture. The farther we drift from biblical thinking, the more we dive into these kind of situational, individual, subjective morals. We live in a society that tries to rationalize away sin. But that doesn't change the reality that sin is sin. And it will bring consequences. So our society can say, no, that's not a sin, or no, that's not wrong anymore, or this is okay, that's okay. But the reality is, if God's word says it's a sin, then it's a sin. It doesn't matter what somebody's opinion is on it, my thoughts on it, or our society's view of it is. And if it is a sin, then God says that there will be a consequence to that sin. Daniel obviously confronts sin here in the book of Daniel. And we too, as believers, can point to God as they point to uh, sin as rebellion against him. And so Daniel's going to point out some things that are happening here that need to be addressed. We too can do that in our world today. So Daniel chapter 5 opens up with the death of Nebuchadnezzar. Now we've talked about Nebuchadnezzar up to this point. He's the one that um, created the, the statue and the image and all of that. He's been kind of the main character in the Babylonian, uh, Babylonian um, kingdom up to this point. Uh, he died in 562. Uh, several of his relatives ruled until 553 when Belshazzar, Belshazzar, you hear the name there, right? Belshazzar, so Bel being that idol again, came along. Belshazzar was a wicked and morally depraved ruler. <coughs> Excuse me. Chronologically, Daniel 5 occurred after the events of chapters 7 and 8. So Daniel 5, what we're going to read, actually occurs in the chronological order after 7 and 8 which occurred almost 70 years after Daniel was taken into captivity. So this is many, many years after he's been in captivity. About 30 years after the last event of chapter 4. The date of chapter 5 was around October 539 BC, and this is considered the night that Babylon fell. So again, we're talking, this is a lot of time has gone on. So about 30 years after the end of chapter 4, and about 70 years into their captivity. Belshazzar had held a huge banquet to which an enormous number of the Babylonian city nobles were invited. 
and you've known this story if you've been in church a long period of time or, or Sunday school or VBS, you've heard this story. Amid their drunken debauchery, Belshazzar ordered that the holy vessels Nebuchadnezzar had looted from the temple in Jerusalem be brought in so the revelers could drink out of them and praise their Babylonian gods. And we see this in Daniel 5, 1 through 4. So as this was happening, something starts to transpire. They see that there's this hand that appears and begins to write against the wall in the plaster of the wall. We see that in verse 5. So the king does exactly what Nebuchadnezzar did when he had his dream that he could not understand. And this is amazing to me. It's the same basic setup. He calls all these wise men in to tell him what it means. Read it and interpret it. And the writing on the wall was unknown to any of them. The queen mother informed her son of what Daniel had done in the time of Nebuchadnezzar and had suggested that Belshazzar summon Daniel and let him interpret this phenomenon. We see this in verses 10 through 12. So Daniel, even at this point, all these years later, is still a man who apparently walks faithfully with the Lord and has continued to receive wisdom and guidance from the Lord. And so Belshazzar has this moment. I need to know what this says. I don't understand what's going on. The queen mother says, hey, go get Daniel. He's a man of of wisdom and character. He'll tell you what it says and and what it means. And so Daniel's going to be brought into a situation here where he has to be honest. He has to be bold. He has to speak the truth. And I, I love that the curriculum kind of opens up with this question. When have you, and I know there's a few less of us tonight, so we need a little bit of conversation here and just feel free again to answer if you'd like. When have you appreciated someone's honesty? Now, I don't need specifics. (laughs) We don't need super specific details, but maybe in a general sense, when have you appreciated someone's honesty? Yes. No, 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 absolutely. Yeah. So in a sense of just general preachers or, or teachers that preach the word, that's them being honest to the text. And we've benefited from that, right? Because we're getting the word uncompromised, right? Not being filtered through popularity, so on and so forth. Uh, when else have you appreciated uh, someone's honesty? John. Oh, yeah.
Yeah, I, I agree 100%, right? When you're in a relationship with anybody, whether it be a spouse or a close friend, when they say those things, I agree, it does, it hurts. Because nobody really wants to be corrected, right? None of us really want to be told you're doing it wrong, you're thinking wrong, you're acting wrong. But when we hear it, if we get past that hurt and we see it as a blessing, we can actually grow, like what John's saying, in our relationship or as an individual, right? So absolutely, we need to hear that so that it will help us to grow. We've benefited because we're growing through that, so we appreciate that honesty, right? Any other thoughts on that? The time that you've appreciated someone's honesty, Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the Holy Spirit does it to us when we're reading his word, right? And there's been times I'll be reading a passage and the Spirit, I'll go to pray and the Spirit will want to bring up something. And I'm like, I don't want to bring that up right now. We ain't got to talk about that right now. Why do I go there? But again, it's because it's drawing us to this closer walk with Christ, right? And it can be hard, but it's so valuable. So Belshazzar is needing to hear the truth. And Daniel's the one that's being invited to do that. And so again, Daniel finds himself in a situation where he needs to be bold and speak the truth boldly. So Daniel chapter 5, let's pick up in verse 13. So Daniel 5 and verse 13. Now we kind of know the context. If I can get a volunteer that would read verses 13 through 16. So just a couple of verses, verses 13 through 16. Who'd like to read that for us? David? Awesome. Thank you. Okay, thank you, sir. So here we see Daniel's brought in the situation. He's presented the problem, right? I need you to read it and interpret it to me. Now, it's interesting when you hear how he describes Daniel, right? What are some ways that he describes Daniel? What has he heard of Daniel personally and as from different stories or things like that? What has he heard of Daniel? Okay, he has a spirit of the gods in him. Okay, so he knows his background. He knows he's just an exile, right? He was a captive, okay? How else is he described? What? Okay, I love, I don't know, what translation was that? Nasby, okay. I love how it said that you're good at solving problems, right? You can solve some problems. And he's like, I asked all the other wise men, they can't do it, but I heard you're like the best problem solver. So absolutely, you solve problems, okay? What else is he said to possess? wisdom and understanding, right? So he's very wise and he understands these things. And so this can tell us over the course of decades, Daniel has consistently walked with the Lord, even though he's not brought in before the king. There's no relationship between Daniel and the king, right? He's saying all these things. I've heard these things of you. 
but there's no close relationship. He doesn't really spend time with him. He doesn't really know him like that. And so what he's saying, these things that he's saying about him, he's heard these things. That means that Daniel, when nobody was really putting him in the limelight, seemingly, right? When, when the king wasn't bringing him in every single day for wise counsel, in the background, day to day, Daniel's doing what? Just walking with the Lord. Just spending time with the Father. Just being faithful. Daniel is not a perfect follower of God. There's no such thing. But what we do know from this is it sure sounds like over the course of years, he was faithful and he was consistent walking with the Lord. Now, here we want to understand that Daniel pursued a life of integrity and godly wisdom. So he pursued a life of integrity and godly wisdom. You could say he strived for these things. Belshazzar has heard of Daniel and his reputation of being able to make interpretations and dissolve doubts, right? To, to make doubts go away. He recognizes that it is by the, quote, spirit of the gods, which is different, very different than the proclamation that Nebuchadnezzar made in chapter 4, verse 37. So let's go to chapter 4. And if somebody could read verse 40, uh, 37 for me. So 437, if somebody could read that for me, just as a comparison between the proclamation Nebuchadnezzar makes and what Belshazzar says all those years later. So Daniel 437, who wants to read that for us? Avi, awesome. Oh. Okay, so Nebuchadnezzar says, I praise the God of heaven, right? The king above all kings. So he's recognizing this God. Then we get about 30 years later, we read what Belshazzar says. You have the spirit of the gods. So Nebuchadnezzar, going through what Nebuchadnezzar went through, he says very boldly, okay, there's this God of heaven, the king of kings, and that's who I'm lifting up. 30 years later, his relative says, well, you have a spirit of the gods. And this is how I really do believe we see this in, in human history. God moves in a miraculous way in a nation or among a people group, and they just praise God and they re rejoice in him. And, and you see this, if you think about Europe, I mean, the times of revival that swept through Europe. And I mean, some of these great things were happening, right? I mean, the Reformation began in Europe and all these great things. But now, if you were to go to Europe, you would find huge areas that don't know the gospel, don't know Christ. You would find people, people I went to school with in college, going to Europe to be missionaries. Where once upon a time, that was the place that was sending out missionaries. I'll never forget when Sandra and I were in Mexico when we were in college on a missions trip. The translator that we worked with, with worked with the missionaries, was a, a Mexican national. And she was learning English so that she could come to America and be a missionary. Just let that sink in for a second. She's in Mexico. Her whole goal is to come here and be a missionary to us. Because she, from the outside, looked in and said, man, they need Jesus. Wow. And, and she's true. It is true. But we don't think that way, do we? We think, well, America, we're the ones that send out the missionaries. And for a long time, that's what we did. And we still are. But you can, can you see how within a short time, it just starts to shift away? It's not just the God. Now it's one of the gods. And so Daniel finds himself in this unique situation. 
Belshazzar is in a similar state of distraught and concern as Nebuchadnezzar was in Daniel 2. So he does the same thing without any avail, seeking wisdom from the wrong sources. Ultimately, he calls on Daniel as a last resort. To be honest, we are so similar. We see or hear God or hear of God moving in some way. And the next time difficulties arise, we are quick to go to everything other than the Lord for help. Belshazzar needed the truth, not lip service. He didn't need somebody coming to tell him we wanted to hear. He needed the truth. Daniel is not afraid to speak harsh truth because they are not his truths. He merely is sharing the truth by the strength of the Spirit. So as followers of Christ, we can walk in Christ in a way which leads to a life of integrity. Not perfection, but integrity. Again, the reason we do this is because we're admitting we need Christ. We're walking in his strength and his wisdom. So, discussion question here to kind of bring it to an application. Uh, How might a life of integrity provide us the opportunity to share Christ? To speak the gospel? How might a life of integrity provide us the opportunity to share Christ? Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right, okay. So if you have a reputation as one who lies or stretches the truth, even when you're speaking truth, they're going to question it, right? They're going to question that. But if you consistently speak truth... They're going to assume that you're speaking truth, right? Even though they may not want to hear it. So that's a great point. Any other thoughts on that? I mean, I just think like if you, especially if you work in a, in a workplace with mm-hmm. non-believers. Yep. If you're going to walk with Christ, that inherently is going to look different than what it looks like at the end of the day. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, just not that you're going to like sit there and preach at those people, but like just the very fact of, you know, you're not jumping in on those things. Sure. Yep. Is something that, you know, if you live that life of integrity like that, I think that that sometimes, and unfortunately it hasn't happened to me. I'm I'm not preachy or whatever. I mean, I've had the chance to share the gospel, but, um, and I think like people, like for in my own personal case, like girls at work would come. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. So if I gave them advice or offered to pray with them, that would be something that... So I think that might be something because of that. Sure. So. Yeah, absolutely. Just the difference. To see the difference between your life as you walk with Christ and the the normal, culturally accepted life, for sure. Um, and then again, that gives weight to what you say, right? Versus because they know you live what you believe. Um, and so one thing I would add on to this too is, because those are absolutely true. I agree 100%. But one thing we have to be careful of is... And just being around the church a long time and, and kind of 
um, coming from a church that our church, when I was first saved at 16, was, um, I would say, leaned on the legalist side of Christianity, um, which legalism basically just says, um, it doesn't really matter what you do behind closed doors, just make sure everybody thinks you're perfect um, and pretend you're perfect when you come to church. Don't let out anything that you're, you know, struggling with because then we'll just shun you. Um, Sometimes I think we think living a life of integrity means always getting it right. And that's not what integrity means. Integrity means doing the right thing even when no one's looking. But sometimes the right thing is admitting when you did the wrong thing. And so I think for a lot of time, a lot of Christians, they hear that and they go, I need to walk with a life of integrity or walk of integrity. And they instantly go, that means perfection and never blowing it. So that people at work or people around my family don't ever think this or think that. I think sometimes the best way we can walk with integrity is when we do stumble, when we do fall, we say, man, I I own that. I did. I, I fell in this way and I needed his grace and I admit that I was wrong and I'm sorry. I think just my opinion on this maybe, but I think when we live that out, not just the victories, but also the failures, I think that speaks volumes to the gospel because now it's not just, again, what you said, preachy, as though I got it all figured out, I'm perfect. When I just say, no, 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 I desperately need his grace because I'm not perfect. I fell. I needed his forgiveness. Man, to me, that's walking with integrity too. To not just go, oh, there's no big deal. It's not a huge, I don't really, who cares about that? No, no, no. we're acknowledging it, that, that need, which I think will give us the opportunity to share Christ, right? So again, it's not just meaning I get everything right all the time. Because, I, I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, I've, I've been around Christians that grew up in those churches. And those Christians are either out of the church because they stumbled and fell and they were pushed out. Or they're in the church, but they've learned to just push it all down and hide it and cover it up. And you would never know because they, they're smiling. They're always happy. They serve. They do everything. But behind the scenes, they're desperately struggling with this sin. But they don't have to deal with it because they've been told, just push it down and hide it. So, again... I think walking with integrity is, is both of those things, right? So again, it gives us that opportunity to share Christ because we're real. That's what I think the point is. We're just honest. We're just real. We're genuine. doesn't mean we tell everybody everything, but we're honest and we're real in the sense that we just are human beings, right, who are walking with Christ. So in the next verses, um, we see the importance of speaking the truth that sin involves exalting ourselves over God. So here we see Daniel chapter 5 verse 17, and then we're going to jump to verses 22 and 23. So again, if I could get a volunteer that would like to read, that would be great. Daniel 5 and verse 17, and then verses 22 and 23. Avi? All right. So Daniel 5, 17, and then jump down to 22 and 23. I <laughs> Through 23, yep. You are his successor, O Belshazzar, and you know all this, yet you have not humbled yourself, for you have proudly defied the Lord of heaven and have had these cups from his temple brought before you. You and your nobles and your wives and your concubines have been drinking wine from them while praising gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Okay, thank you, ma'am. So do you see what, what Daniel did there? 
he's basically saying, he's expounding on what Nebuchadnezzar said at the end of chapter 4. That's the real God. We're not talking about a spirit of the gods. There is the God. And do you see, I love that Daniel does that. He ties it right back into the true God, not just a God. And so here we see that Daniel spoke the truth that sin exalts ourselves over God. Daniel is just told the king, you've lifted yourself up above God. You've done this in pride. Daniel was no stranger to delivering difficult news. Some years earlier, he told Nebuchadnezzar that because of his arrogance, his kingdom would be taken away. It happened, and Belshazzar saw it, but he didn't learn from it. His actions of using these special vessels from the temple as commonplace tableware were proof of his arrogance. Daniel was bound by his integrity to tell him such. So again, these are cups and normal cups in the sense of what they look like. There's not anything unique about them other than they're just a cup. What makes them unique is what their designation was. They were designated for the temple. They were holy because they were set aside for their purpose. When they use them for anything outside of what God designed them to be used for, that's a, a knock against God and his holiness. It's, it's defaming God. It's blaspheming God. And then it takes it a step farther. Not only are they using them outside the temple, they're using them in the act of actually worshiping idols. So they're making it even a greater sin because they're worshiping idols and not the living God with the, the things that are meant to be used to worship God. And so Daniel confronts Belshazzar with all this. He lays it out for him. Now, what was the risk that Daniel was taking? Yeah, Daniel could have been killed for this. You don't go to a king and say, yeah, by the way, your arrogance and your pride and you did this and you did that and you, did, and you need to stop doing this. He could have been killed. But isn't it amazing when you go through scripture how many times God gives people the strength and the boldness to say what they need to say? Remember Nathaniel coming to David, telling him this amazing story. David gets so mad. And I, I love that story because it shows us that when we hear about other people, what we think are other people's sins, we get really worked up. And then we realize it's us. We go, oh. How about some grace? Can I have some grace? Like, cause, but when it's somebody else, it's like, oh, we should like, kill that person and imprison them and lock them away. But then we go, wait a minute, you're the man. Oh, well, th there's grace for that, right? And so it's so amazing to me, that story, because we're so quick to be like, if it's somebody else, oh, yeah, yeah, they're so evil and, and horrible. But when God says, no, 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 flip it around, it's actually you, you're doing this, he's humbled and he's broken. Now, again, Nathaniel took a big risk by going into David and telling him what was going to happen. Throughout all of... Esther going in before the king and, and requesting of the king these things, risking her very life. And so again, we see this happen throughout scripture, but what does that tell us? That when we're in Christ, or for these individuals, followers of God, and we're speaking the truth that we're called to speak for his glory, Daniel's not doing this so he can make a name for himself. Daniel's doing this because he has to admit, this is what God's telling me. This is what God wants. This is what God desires. We see this in the New Testament. How about John the Baptist? John the Baptist was beheaded because he told the, the leader that he was sinning, that he was in the wrong. And this is, again, just an amazing story where he basically, this guy takes his brother's wife as his own. Uh, one of the Herods uh, does this, and John says, that's sinful. You can't do that. And he gets locked up for it, then he gets beheaded for it. So again, we see God giving people courage and boldness to do this throughout all of Scripture. 
So what did Daniel risk speaking boldly against sin? His very life. Second to that, his reputation. Maybe Belshazzar says, yeah, you're not very wise. You're not very understanding. In fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bump you down the hierarchy here, and you're not going to be of very much importance. His reputation is marred. So many things could happen. And by the way, we risk losing things too when we speak the truth. We might lose a position at work. We might lose a friendship. We might lose a relationship with someone. But if we really believe that what we're speaking is true, and we've done it humbly and in love, he's doing this humbly too. He's not coming in arrogance. Then I believe God is glorified even if we lose something in the deal. Also note, the king wants to bless him for what he's going to tell him. Right? I'll give you this great clothing. You'll be of great importance. What does Daniel say? I don't want any of that. So that again tells me Daniel's not saying these things so that he'll be rewarded. He's saying these things because it's true. And it has to be said. So in the next few verses, we're going to see the importance of speaking the truth that sin brings judgment. So sin brings really the reality that we exalt ourselves over God, which is ultimately sin, right? When I sin, I'm choosing something that God said I don't need and that I'm fully satisfied in him. I don't believe that, so I go to something else or someone else. This is what Adam and Eve experienced, right? When did Eve sin? Eve didn't sin when she bit into the fruit, Okay, she sinned when she agreed with the serpent that that tree is going to make me wise because God never said that. She thought I need the wisdom of that tree to be what I need to be, not believing that God is all I need. And so the minute she exchanged the word of God for the word of the serpent, she committed sin. The eating of the fruit was just the the expression of that sin. It was the fruit of that sin. No pun intended. And so here we see that throughout scripture as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right, somehow. But really, that's not true. Because every single person made the same choice that Eve did mm-hmm. to do whatever choice it was to sin. Mm-hmm. Like, every single person has done that. Mm-hmm. So it's not like God is punishing the entire race because of one man's sin. Mm-hmm. Of course, the Bible does say that, doesn't it? So, <laughs> oh, sorry. Okay. I love that you said that, and then you're like, wait a minute. That might have been. So, no, no, you're not wrong. So, what you're saying, though, is what people have really wrestled with because. A lot of people will say it's really unfair for God to punish me for Adam's sin. Is really what you're saying, right? Right. So Romans 5.12, right? One man's sin, therefore sin entered into all of humanity. So we all die because of Adam's sin, which was the consequence of sin, right? In the day you eat of it, you'll surely die. He didn't mean bite death. He meant when you bite that fruit, an expression of sin, you begin the process of dying. Right? And you will die one day. We know ultimately death in Romans 6.23 is separation from God, which means to be the second death. But what we see in Romans 5.12 is that the sin nature is passed down from Adam. So we're all born into sin because of Adam's sin. He, he was the representative of humanity. He is the head of humanity. So we follow after that line. Jesus comes as the second Adam, the perfect Adam. He stands faithful under temptation. He stands victorious and fulfills the law. So now we're in Christ if we're saved. So now our head is no longer Adam, but Christ. So now in the same way Adam's sin is given to us at birth, the sin nature, we now get Christ's righteousness given to us through salvation, the second birth or the being born again. So we are born in sin. However, we commit sin. So when God sends someone to hell for their sin, I am not cast into hell because of Adam's sin. 
I'm cast into hell because I broke God's law. I chose to sin. I chose to violate the law of God. However, I have a sin nature because of Adam's sin. And this is why Jesus Christ is so important. We know this. Jesus was born without a sin nature. He did not have that sin nature. So when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, that was an external temptation. We are tempted from the external and the internal. So Satan can tempt us in an environment, but our flesh, James 1 says this, my flesh is also in agreement with that. So Satan dangles the bait, lust or money or whatever, and we want that even though it's not pleasing to God because my flesh is in contrary to the spirit. So I want the lust. I want that thing. But the spirit in Christ now says, no, you don't need that. So now there's that wrestling Romans 7 talks about. So again, we are born into sin because of Adam, Romans 5.12. However, we are punished for our sin. We're judged for our sin. And so again, it's not Adam's sin that sends me to hell. It's my sin. And rejection of Christ, ultimately, and choosing to die and pay for my sin, which I can do by being separated from him for all eternity. So I hope that kind of clears it up. Okay. And there are some that disagree with that, even in Christianity. But I believe Romans 5 speaks very clearly of that. And also other verses that say that we've individually sinned and fallen short. Everyone's fallen short of the glory of God. So that means I've made choices that have done that as well. So. Um, So jumping into the next section. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, so, uh, Daniel five. So now we're talking about that sin brings judgment. So Daniel five verses 24 through 28. So we'll read this together. One more volunteer that would like to read Romans five, 24 through 28. Who else would like to read? Maybe somebody hasn't read yet. Oh, Terry. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Thank you, ma'am. So Daniel humbles the king, tells him his sin. And then now he tells him what? Because you've done this, there's a consequence. There's going to be fruit from this. One commentator says it this way. Daniel informed Belshazzar, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. The image is that God's moral standards for a righteous ruler were on one side of the scale and the wicked king and his actions were on the other side. On God's scale, Belshazzar did not measure up. He didn't even tip the scale. Here's God's righteousness, and here's what you did, and you are found wanting. You are extremely, extremely wanting. So again, when Daniel spoke this truth and basically tells him there's going to be some consequences here, he spoke the truth that sin brings judgment. The message on the wall, excuse me, said that the reign of Belshazzar would soon come to an end. Because of his arrogance and lack of character. And by the way, if you want to see a ruler fall, arrogance and lack of character will always lead to the fall of a leader or a ruler or a president or any such position. What's that? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Or it's nation. Imagine being Daniel in this position, knowing this was the message to be delivered. 
So God has made known to you what it says. It must have taken tremendous courage and conviction to deliver this message. At the same time, imagine being in the position of the king. He also had a choice. So now he has to choose, what, what am I going to do in response to this? Now again, remember or notice that he does actually reward Daniel. He clothes him with scarlet and makes him third in command and all of these things. But again, I, I always question why he would do that. Is that trying to, okay, look, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I'm going to kind of butter you up and make, it, make your gods happy. Um, because apparently he doesn't have repentance in his heart or in his mind. Because these things come to be. His kingdom is taken away, right? Avi. Yeah, that's coming up in Daniel. Yep, no, no. <laughs> the one I'm thinking of is coming up here real soon. Yep. Um, so, yes, but yeah, so he makes this decree. But let's look, what does the next verse say in verse um, 30? It says, In that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. And Darius, the Median, uh, I'm sorry, the... Uh, Median, yeah, took the kingdom, being about threescore and two year old. So what did Daniel say? Hey, this is what it says. Your kingdom's going to be taken away. It's going to be given to the Medes and the Persians. What happens that night? He's slain. And what happens to the kingdom? It goes to the Medes and the Persians. Sandra. Yes, yes. Just the irony of that. Right. Right. Yeah. No, absolutely. The writing on the wall. Yeah. So the irony of that, like he doesn't just have him killed or reject it. He still rewards him. And ironically yet, like that wasn't good news. Like, why are you rewarding him for bad news? Um, so yeah, it is interesting how this plays out. But again, notice what Daniel had said earlier. He very clearly spoke to the fact that God is going to do what God needs to do. He's going to lead and guide and he will establish kingdoms and he will remove kingdoms, right? He's going to work what needs to happen here. So think about it this way too, as far as application. And the curriculum gives us a question here to kind of think on as we get ready to wrap up. Uh, in what ways does our culture both reject the concept of judgment and embrace it? So this is, this is he's telling him there's going to be consequences and judgment for your sin. And this, this is going to happen. It's going to take place. So if we fast forward to our culture, in what ways does our culture both reject the concept of judgment and embrace the concept of judgment? In our culture today, how do we embrace the concept of judgment and at the same time reject the concept of judgment? Okay. So they don't feel that anything's wrong and we're, everyone should just be equal. Everyone's truth is their truth and equal truth. But then when we speak truth to them, they say, well, that's, we all hate you now. And we judge you and condemn you. Absolutely. The hypocrisy there, Sandra. That's what I was going to say. Like, well, that's your truth, but mm -hmm. that's not my truth. Okay. 
So we, again, embrace and reject it. We, we don't want you judging us, but we'll sure judge you. Right, Avi? Yeah, well, but then it sure is funny how the tables turn. As soon as somebody violates them, like, oh, right. somebody broke my house, somebody stole my car, yes. somebody robbed my bank account. All of a sudden, now we want justice. Now we're going to embrace, you know, like, just, um, you know, just judgment. Anybody yes. Judgment. Yes. Subjective. Right, yeah. No, it's, it's, now it's wrong is wrong, exactly right? right? Yep. So you tell me there's a spiritual truth or a condemnation or a judgment for my sin, I reject that. But when someone commits a crime against me, I want them punished. I want judgment on them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. It's always easier to see others be judged and condemned and penalized. But again, when it's us, and I heard it years ago, I don't remember where I heard it. Grace is the number one thing we don't want to give someone else, but it's the number one thing we hope others will give to us. And it's so amazing to me. And I, and I, I shared this recently again that and I can't remember who I was speaking with now, but I was, I was amazed. I was sitting at, this is years ago, uh, Sandra and I were with some other couples, Christian couples, and we were having dinner and we're sitting there talking about stuff, life stuff, whatever. And, and, Somehow a topic came up um, involving sin against children, a sin against a child. And these are all Christian couples. Uh, I, would, I would consider them mature in the Lord as far as their knowledge and things like that. And as we're sitting there, I just happened to put a big fork full of food in my mouth, which happens often when I'm eating. And a comment was made and somebody said, if someone did that to my child, I would be in prison because I would kill them. And I started to chew my food, and I thought, hmm. And before I could even say anything, another person said, oh, absolutely, I agree. Like, I can't understand how somebody can do that. I would kill them. And within no time at all, now, Sandra and I, I, I don't, we didn't say anything at this point. But these other four individuals are sitting on the table, and they're all agreeing. Yeah, kill them. Yep, kill them. And I was thinking, okay, trying to be understanding here. If somebody hurt my child, of course, I'd be angry, upset. I'd want justice. But is the Christ-like attitude to slaughter them and kill them? Or is it to rather share the gospel with them, pray they'd come to repentance? There's, of course, consequence for our sin. But shouldn't my first desire to be their spiritual well-being? And not just because I find that specific sin grotesque, that therefore they should be slaughtered? When God sees all of our sin as equally grotesque, and yet we cry for grace and we hope to be forgiven? And so, again, I was so blown away that Christians were so open about just and okay with because that sin in that way was deemed so evil. And I'm not saying there shouldn't be justice. I'm, all, I'm agreeing with that. But it was so quick, instant judgment, instant wrath. Kill them. I, w- I would kill them. And I just remember thinking, wow. Like, it just kind of blew me away. And now I, I finished chewing my food, and before I could even, I mean, we're talking seconds, the conversation had shifted to something else, but I'll never forget that moment of just everyone was okay with it. And it's just, that's understandable. And I thought, man, how often do we as Christians do that in our culture? We deem something so evil that, oh, no, there's going to be instant judgment, no grace, no offer for forgiveness. But then when it's us that falls into a sin or commits a sin against someone else, but we deem it not as big a sin because, well, it's not as bad. 
we forget that, no, 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 all sin deserved Christ going to the cross and dying for. There is no sin scale. It's sin or it's righteousness. It's Christ-likeness or it's self and flesh. And so again, just when we talk about this, I think we can apply it to our understanding of, man, we as Christians are quick to embrace judgment if it's someone else, and we prayerfully reject judgment if it's to us, right? Avi. Oh, yeah. Yep. And then you do whoever, like Hitler, Sean on the other end. You know, like, where would you put yourself on that scale? Yeah. You know, most people in their minds are like, oh, I'm over here. Teresa. I'm close to Teresa way more than Hitler, right? Yeah. Right, yeah. Exactly. But in God's eyes, it's like we're all hugging Hitler. Yes. Yep. We're all in the same boat as him. Yes. As far as how God sees our sin. Like, yes. Oh, yeah. Make excuses. Absolutely. No, 100%. There is no scale. It's you're either in sin or you're in Christ. And our sin is vile to God's understanding. And, and there's no gray area on that. Well, there's, I only did this. I only lied. I'm always amazed when scripture lists sins of the flesh. And it'll include things that we wish weren't in those lists. When murder and lying are lumped into the same passage. And you're like, wait, so that's sin. Uh, by the way, Revelation says that all liars will find their place in the lake of fire. So lying is on equal plane with murder and adultery, and we don't think that way. And so, again, this is a good reminder that we need to be honest with that. I know, I'm sorry. I'm losing my I'm sorry. But whenever I think of lying, like, that is, because I think I tell lies. Like, I try to not tell lies, but, like, I'll. <laughs> Kevin's like, what? <laughs> Never to you, though. Never to you. No. Mm-hmm. Make something whatever, like it's a lie, it's wrong. And I, yes. and I just remind myself, like, that is the language that Satan speaks. Mm-hmm. He is a father. father of lies, yep, yep. And I just try to remember that, like, right there, that is why, like, because you think, like, oh, lying and murder, that's like, there's murder, oh, and then lying, like, eh, you know, it's not that like, big a deal. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And our culture thinks lying is fine. If it's white lies to avoid hurting someone's feelings, what's the big deal? So, yeah, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then archery, you think of that, you miss the bullseye, you miss the target, you miss, you know, the righteousness of Christ. So we praise God that in Christ, we don't have to hit the mark. He's already hit it for us and we get the credit for the shot, right? It's imputed to us as righteousness. Um, a couple of application points to kind of wrap up in conclusion. Uh, the curriculum asks this question, what actions will you take in response to today's study? It gives us three example things that we can do. Uh, so it's give permission, prepare in prayer, and speak up. So give permission, ask a trusted Christian friend or mentor to speak honestly with you about any inconsistencies or lack of integrity in your life. So that's a, a way of giving permission to someone to say, hey, let's have this kind of relationship where I want to be held accountable. Um, again, I would encourage a woman doing that with a woman and a man with a man for obvious reasons. Um, Prepare in prayer. This is the idea of praying for boldness to speak the truth and for wisdom to speak with grace about sin and its consequences. And then speak up. This is the idea of um, who have you avoided having a difficult conversation with? Make an appointment to speak with this person soon. So this is an example of God has laid it on your heart. There's something going on. You need to deal with this. You know God wants you to do it, but you haven't. 
try to have that conversation soon. So there are some practical applications that we can take out of the lesson tonight. And I'm not saying we need to do all these things. You may not do any of these things. But if the Lord is leading any of these things, that's just an opportunity to apply the lesson. All right? And if you have any questions or you want a copy of the lesson notes, just ask me. I'll be more than willing to give those to you. All right? Yes, sir. Yep. Yeah. 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 It, it, which is amazing to me. 30 years, right? 30 years, we believe, that's how long it went. And all those lessons just forgotten, right? And so, again, it just reminds you. And I, you've always heard it said, even Christianity is one generation away from being extinct in any country or any culture. Um, and I've seen that. You've seen that where when we make church attendance and, and consistency with Christ um, a hobby or an inconsistency in our life, our children will be even more inconsistent and our grandchildren will have no walk with Christ. Um, because again, we're communicating things down. So what do we do? We do the very best we can to communicate faith to our children. We pray that they will grow and communicate faith to their children and so on and so forth. Because if you don't, if you don't learn these things and continue to learn from these things, within 30 years, this is what can happen. So well, let's pray. And we'll ask Lord to be with our uh, remaining of our evening and then the week ahead. Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for your word, which is honest and pointed and needful in our lives. Lord, there's no one in this room that is perfect. We're all growing. We're all learning. And we're all, I pray, Lord, striving for Christ-likeness. And so, Lord, help us to walk in integrity, which means to, by your grace and, and by the empowering of your spirit, to walk in a way that would honor you. Lord, where we fall short, help us to admit that and own, it, own that, to seek repentance and confession that we might be restored and redeemed and directed towards how we should be thinking or acting in that situation. Father, help us to have those conversations that need to be had. Give us the boldness to speak the truth in love, to share grace, but also the truth of what sin brings. And Lord, again, help us as we live in this world to speak that truth so that they may come to know Christ. And Lord, again, we thank you for tonight. For these that are able to be here tonight, Lord, again, we just pray that you be glorified in all that was said and done. Lord, be with the week ahead. Help us have a great week and be with uh, families and, and individuals as they prep for Thanksgiving and the meals and the celebrations and, and everything that goes into this week, Lord. Uh, I pray that we as followers of Christ will enjoy every single moment of this week. And I know families sometimes can be stressful and there can be some things that go into the preparation that can be stressful and getting the house ready and everything else, Lord. But I pray that we would just spend this time this week as we can gather with family this weekend or on Thursday. And just enjoy the time together. Don't worry about the little things. Don't get stressed about the little things. But to see it as an opportunity to just celebrate the goodness and grace of God. And Lord, what a better way to do that over a meal together as a family. And so Lord, whatever that looks like this week, for, in whatever way we can celebrate, I pray that we would do so with joy. Looking for opportunities to make you known. Father, again, we thank you for tonight. Go with us as we go our separate ways and give us a great rest of this evening. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.